Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another wonderful installment of Matt and Dennis, the Matt and Dennis podcast. I think I speak on behalf of myself and my co-host when I say thanks for hanging in there. Uh, a bit of a hiatus as we go into the transition of I'm too lazy to do this slash uh, we're going back to one episode uh, a week. More on that in just a little bit. I want to welcome, as always, uh, like I said, my my good friend and co-host, Mr. Dennis Vinci. Dennis, happy Friday. We made it to the weekend once again. How are you? I am well, Matt. Woo! Oh, that sounds that. good. Music to my ears. Mm-hmm. It's it's wicked easy, dude. And and a lot of a lot of our friend, our friends know. Usually, a lot of our listeners or friends, the first half of the week is typically Matt and Dennis, good Catholic boys, just doing a show on a on a Monday, Tuesday, maybe a Wednesday night. But then, if you listen on the later half of the week, you run the risk of potentially getting the late night Friday broadcast, which tends to be about two hours long. Well, we encapsulate the listeners i think that's the right word to use yeah listening to this midweek it's just something to get you through the week by friday or if you're doing a saturday activity maybe you can see what other people were doing degenerates of the world like ourselves our listeners are out there pounding brews perhaps ripping shots Mm -hmm. i don't know doing the dance with no pants Mm -hmm. whatever floats your boat yeah now you can See what we're doing on a Friday night, and that's just drinking, yep. sitting in our bedrooms. Well, you're in your living room, it looks like. Uh, well, Dennis, sporting a Hawaii T-shirt. Why don't you, why don't you tell the uh, listeners why we didn't do a show last Friday? Because you were internet shopping. Yeah. Well. Um, uh, yeah, I, I'll take blame for most of it, but also Dennis never. We'll t- take blame for all of it, sir. I won't take blame for all of it because sometimes Dennis is like, let's, let's broadcast on this day. And our good friend Ellis got to see some rare behind the scenes action of what goes on in the planning of the show, which is not a whole lot, but um, uh, typically if one of us forgets, the other will say, Hey, what are you up to right now? Are we doing this? Are we not doing this? And uh, this week was just all all full transparency for our listeners. It was not fun, but um, shout out to university of Hawaii uh, one night had a few adult beverages, went on the University of Hawaii website while I was watching uh, one of their basketball games at like two in the morning. And um, they had a shirt for like six bucks. I'm wearing it on Zoom uh, for Dennis, uh, who can see that. And I was like, yeah, six bucks. And it was like three or four bucks shipping. It was less than $10. And I was like, why the heck not? It took about three weeks to get here. And I guarantee you the people over there in Hawaii were like, why the heck is some guy in Lansing, Michigan? <laughs> buying a $6 Hawaii t-shirt, but I'm rocking it and I love it. Um, Anywho, on a collegiate level, and we might, we're probably going to, I know for a fact, we'll dip into uh, collegiate athletics here shortly on Matt and Dennis, but Dennis, if you don't mind, before we get into the, the, uh, the grit of the show um, on a serious note and on a very uh, emotional and uh, just a, I don't know how many other notes I can say, but I do want to say something, and you probably know where I am going with this shortly. Um, You're a former coach. I talk well. many, many times on this show, pretty much every episode, about how passionate I am about my alma mater, Temple University, uh, the Temple Owls, um, academically-wise, what it does for 
the city of Philadelphia, um, what it does for the community, what it does for um, its alumni, its its students, and and how far the program, while we are not great, uh, we've had our moments of greatness, especially basketball. And I brag about the about Temple being the fifth winningest college basketball program uh, still today, fifth most wins in college basketball, which is incredible for a school that no one really cares about right now. Um, but everything they've done, basketball, football, athletics, the, the student population, it's academic uh, integrity, everything about that school. It's because of a lot of it in large part uh, because of uh, a guy named John Chaney, who was the Temple basketball coach. And he won't go just go down as a, he passed away today at 89 years old, heck of a life. And he won't just go down as a Temple legend that goes without saying, but he's a, he's a basketball legend. And there's been an outpouring of support from, from not only guys he coached at Temple back in the day, but other coaches, other uh, college athletes, NBA athletes, sports analysts, um, sports center, Kevin Nagandi, who is a, a Temple grad who, is known for making any chance he can on sports center shouting out temple um i i was not fortunate enough to be a student when john cheney was coach but as a temple owl i definitely as a fan uh definitely got to reap the benefits of what he did at temple um in the 90s temple was for years the number one team in the country which is insane to think about today when I go watch Temple getting their ass kicked by uh, Tulane. Uh, it's hard to believe that that was ever a thing. But John Philly, Chaney, Philly was a different place at the collegiate level was. in the 80s and 90s. And although Temple basketball and Temple football and Temple athletics are not where I wish they could be right now, uh, we're on the map. And, and Temple athletics, even their best year and their worst year, is on the map and that's because of John Chaney and Temple Tough spelled T-U-F-F uh, sounds silly but that was always a gritty what, whatever sport you're in it was a gritty you get knocked down you get back up you F around with us you find out and that was the attitude that that John Chaney brought to a great guy but when he was in the locker room when he was on the court John Calipari knows this very well it was mess around and find out. And, and that's what Temple was. And he started that. And to this day, it doesn't matter who the coach is. They've all adopted that, that attitude. This is what we're going to be. If we're in football, we're going to be in the trenches. It's defense, defense, defense. If you're on the court, defense, defense, defense. We're going to play gritty. We're going to play blue collar, basketball, blue collar, football. This is what it's going to be. John Chaney set the tone for that. And, and in a city like Philadelphia, that's a tough, gritty city. John Chaney is, is going to be – he, he is, before his passing, he was an absolute legend and a, a huge loss. And But it's 89 years old. It's not a sad day. It's a celebration of, of his life. And, again, I mean, I went to Temple because I, I, went, I wanted to go to a school that had history, had a reputation – had uh, had a great academic program, but also had a good athletic program. And honestly, not obviously I'm not from the Philadelphia area. I wouldn't have, I don't know if I would have went to Temple if it wasn't for the reputation that John Chaney built for that school 
throughout the country and especially the Northeast. So I'd be remiss if I didn't take a chunk out of the show tonight to say rest easy, John Cheney. Thank you for everything. Temple uh, is in your debt and uh, just uh, a, a huge, a huge legend for the sport of basketball and the Temple community. He will be missed. Um, Dennis, I don't, I doubt you have anything super heavy to say about that. So, oh, if, on the contrary. Oh boy. No, it's. I I figured. I didn't know if you would bring that up. Um, obviously, what I do, it was big in my line of work today. It was a big enough deal to steal some headlines, um, but it's more so when we talk about these legends that go on he's a college basketball hall of famer so it's he's he's legendary status in college athletics but he and much like john thompson who we lost last august september or whatever they laid the groundwork for what a lot of people is thinking is like a new movement in this country when it comes to racial divide and stuff he he and john thompson were pillars and it's starting this thing basically just i'm trying to think of the word the people that started first front lines of getting people to understand what the african-american community is going through what it's like being a black man who's 18 to 20 years old playing college basketball because there was a time with cheney and thompson where black players weren't even playing basketball whereas they played and it wasn't until i think crap, we talked about it today, like 19, 1967, 68 was the first African-American for the University of North Carolina to get a scholarship. That's insane. It's barely the 70s. Our parents were alive when that happened. So these guys were just, what they leave when people talk about legacy and all the things that you mentioned are great. And it's great for that institution. It's great for the city of Philly. There's a brotherhood in Philly basketball. Everybody knows that with Temple, LaSalle, Villanova. Everybody knows that these the, it's a close-knit community. Those coaches, they all still meet. They all have dinners every year. They have a big banquet over. I doubt they had well, they might have had it last year. I don't know, but in this year, I don't know what COVID, but you forgot. I don't know what they have it. UPenn, St. Joe, yeah. Drexel. It's all of them. And it's legendary coaches that have come from those programs. We don't think about that now because outside of Villanova, none of them are really relevant. They're all you know, division one programs. They've had multiple tournament berths, but on the level of what we think of, they're not there anymore. Historically, they are. Yes, yes. To to collegiate basketball history, to Philadelphia basketball history. But right now, you're correct. Villanova is the only one that's had sustained relevancy in the last 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah, but what Cheney did, like, and John Thompson gets a lot more credit for it because – well, let's be honest, it was Georgetown and he had uber success with Georgetown and multiple NBA players coming from that program. But those men, pillars for what we're still dealing with in this country, and they were dealing, not dealing with it, but trying to get people to listen, to pay attention, to make it, put it out in the forefront 40 years ago. So when you talk about legacy, that's what he's leaving behind. It is the great, the temple tough stuff that you talked about, but he's one of these guys in sports where it's not just college basketball it's kind of right sports as a whole so and, and that's 
and that was the coolest thing. I mean, something being being a Temple fan and obviously growing up, uh, like m- my dad going to UConn and and us, you and I grew up very close to each other, and then we grew up in the in the same town at, at, to a certain extent. And uh, Connecticut didn't really have a profession. We we either were Boston fans or you were New York fans, but in Connecticut, in terms of basketball, not everyone felt this way, but I felt this way. Where it's like screw the NBA, you have the UConn Huskies, and and that was who you looked up to as, as the as the pro teams, and 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 in Temple's case, John Chaney, like what he came up with, and Temple Tough, and and this thing that that is like I said at the beginning of this little tribute I did was John Chaney in his life when he he was definitely uh, kind of brittle at the end for lack of a better word like he couldn't really stand on his own he was on a, in a wheelchair in the last couple of years of his life but he would go to basketball games coached by Fran Dunphy his uh his successor and he would go to the football locker room in certain games throughout the season and John Chaney would talk to the the football team and the basketball team these guys have never met him before and would would tell them what it meant to be temple tough this, this stupid little slogan that he had come up with that he had ingrained in his basketball players that made Temple one of, if not the best team of the early 90s. Temple's ranked number one in the country for multiple years in the early 90s, which again, like I said, is an, an insane thought to think about as I watch them lose to teams like Tulane, and it's very aggravating. But anyways. Don't hate on, don't hate on the green wave, Matt. No, I love that they have the best logo ever. It's like a green blob with a little uh, angry face on it. Well, one of the best logos is the shirt that you are sporting currently, which is a rainbow. But you don't have any bit of the Rainbow Warriors. It's just that, like, Hawaiian Samoa. Yeah, I look that they have. I, I looked for one, and the hope is that once COVID's over, I was supposed to be in Hawaii uh, in December for a tournament the Temple was in, speaking of. Um, but hoping that that opportunity arises again. And Dennis, I would love to go on the road if we could go do like a West Coast thing. We go to some some of those crappy uh, West Coast college gyms or some like go see like Wyoming or Boise State football and go see Hawaii football. Like I would. Why do you got to do that to the West Coast audience that we have? I would love to do that. Those I, crappy gyms. One day, yeah. Well, they all look exactly the same. You're telling me like BYU, Utah, they all have that weird like bowl shaped basketball already. watching colorado state right now yeah they probably, state. They probably exactly. 13 and 2 versus 12 and 3 yeah I'll, I'll turn that on in a second all right dennis let's move along Mountain west basketball baby we are already uh see, we were worried about how much time we take up all right here we go let's go to let's you, go to baseball. it's your fault you did it let's go to baseball john cheney rest in peace thank you for everything <clears> um <throat> temple legend all right we move on um let's talk baseball dennis we did this really quick uh one of our last episodes we mentioned um an episode before that we mentioned our concern about if dj lemayhu would sign with the yankees why is it taking the yankees so long brian cashman what the heck's going on is he going to go to the mets is he going to go to los angeles is he going to go to toronto uh we don't know i think i think we were slightly concerned but in our heart of hearts we knew he'd go to the yankees we talked about that he signed with the yankees since then the yankees signed uh, I believe two-time signing winner Corey Kluber uh, to uh, a very small deal. Um, I forget what the exact. Uh, it's only a year, right? Yeah, I think it was a, a year, seven million or something like that. Uh, a, a very small deal in Major League Baseball money and Yankee money. Um, well, so, for former Cy Young too. 
we'll talk to that we'll talk about that in a second masahiro tanaka as a lot of people thought whether it was on his accord or the yankees accord um will be leaving um and he will no longer be a yankee i'll start with him dennis masahiro tanaka uh he as far as i'm concerned he leaves in good graces from the organization from the fans I think the only thing is, and, and he was a great pitcher. He, he really was. He did so many great things for us. I think the only, the only negative that diehard Yankees fans can look at and the organization can look at is that as good as he was, he was not able to get us over the hump. A lot of that is not his fault. The majority of it, I should say, is not his fault. Um, but he just was not able to get the Yankees over that hump and get them to the, the so-called promised land. So I think as, as he rides off into the sunset, Yankees fans will bid him a graceful and deserved farewell. He should uh, be happy about his time with the Yankees. The organization should be happy about his time with them. But I think we could always kind of say at the same time, it just didn't, it didn't pan out to what we had hoped it would be. All good things. Not a whole lot of negative, just kind of from a selfish standpoint from a, as, as we as Yankees fans tend to be, it, it never panned out and it never ended in the way we hoped it would have ended. Um, your thoughts? Yeah, I, uh, quickly on the Kluber stuff, I hope it works out. I hope we see him for a full season. I hope he is a fraction of a Cy Young season. That he had he's been battling with injuries for the last couple of years to me it's a win-win Kluber needs something to prove so he can get a nice long contract to ride off into the sunset let's say in five or six years after his time major league baseball is done I would imagine that's around what he has left maybe uh and for the Yankees it's if he sucks it's one year if he's great maybe you pick him back up maybe he becomes the number two you know, it, he's already in his 30s. Maybe he's the number three. I don't know. But I, I, me being the realist that I have been on this show, I'm not expecting him to get through the month of July. And given the Yankees and their injury woes that we've had the last season, all signs would point to me being correct. But who knows? With Tanaka, I, I mentioned this in the group text today, the infamous group text that we will probably mention multiple times on this episode. I thought, like, he retired from baseball because – just going on Twitter and on Instagram, and I follow one of the, the Barstool podcasts, the, that Yankee show, The Front Porch, I think it's called. It's pretty entertaining, and it's just diehard Yankee fans. And then there's, like, this another uh, 161st Street or something like that. Yeah. It's just two dudes, and they just talk Yankees or whatever. And they're actually really entertaining and, like, super knowledgeable when it comes to the Yanks. So, like, outside of going to meet your analysts and stuff. There's that one. I thought there was, like, River Ave Blues is another one. I don't know if it's the same one. I don't, I don't know. I, maybe I'm getting the name wrong. Maybe it's just like a Twitter handle that they have. But they were all like long just pieces of audio that were online and these messages like talking about Tanaka. And I'm like, is he retiring from baseball for good? And then obviously told by friends like, no, he's, he's just going back to Japan. He's going to finish out his career there. So sure, maybe he's retiring from Major League Baseball. But I just, I don't know. It, to me, maybe it's because we put too much hype on – when the Japanese players come over, they're so much involved in it. You see their stats when they're over there and they're dominant and you have to pay all this money just to talk to them, to get their agents to talk to uh, 
your staffs and then they come over and expectations are through the roof and you kind of have to temper them because you don't know how they're going to perform. But I, he was okay. He was a run of the mill. I don't think he ever looked like an ace. At best, he was a number two. I think in the 2018 postseason might've been his best stuff when we were battling with that Houston Astro team where every game was a battle because that starting rotation was ridiculous with Verlander, Cole, Morton. It, it was tough and he was someone that we could rely upon. And unfortunately we had just nobody. He just, he wasn't an ace. He was just good enough. And I will say that the one positive I have is New York never broken. The moment seemed like it was never too big for Tanaka. That's something to say. I think New York's one of the hardest places to play next to maybe Boston and then maybe LA, but they're kind of psychopaths out there. That's a good point. Just just from the way the media handles things and the way fans can attack you, I think he handled everything with grace. He was a good Yankee. He's not a Yankee, but, and by that, I mean, you know, you're, Yankees, you earn your pinstripes. I don't think Tanaka ever got to that level. He'll just be a guy that we had in the mid-2000s, and that's it. Now he's gone. Which isn't that and, – and Dennis, that's – I didn't even think about that, and you make a, you make a very great point. And it's, not a, it's, it's not a point this is the first time we're bringing this up. We've brought up what it means, like, guys on the Yankees that have been there for forever and have had massive contracts and had – legendary moments and it's 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 kind of a there's a question it's like there there are certain yankee players who are it's like this person's a yankee like there there are certain guys that have been the yankees for the better part of 10 years and who are not yankees then there's guys like aaron boone who has one moment coming out of the dugout and hits takes one swing of the bat and he becomes a yankee and and it's those kind of right time isn't it like, isn't it nuts? And I don't disagree with you. Like, I don't think when it's said and done, and I think what defines a Yankee, well, one of the things I should say defines a Yankee is that 10, 20, 30 years from now, when you and I are in our middle ages and when we're old, we're going to look back at, at these years at the players we remember. And Masahiro Tanaka will probably not be one that hopefully <laughs> – there are other players between now and our ages when we're old men. There's other players between now and then that, that we say those guys were Yankees. But it's, it's interesting to think about that. Someone that I don't think you would find many Yankees fans willing to say negative things about Masahiro Tanaka. Yet here we are saying he's, he won't go down as like that guy was a Yankee. No, and me saying that, just like we sound like arrogant pompous douches but we're not wrong oh this guy's not a he's not a yankee like but that's i'm sorry we're yankee fans that's how we label players deal with it i know it really does make us sound like we're elitists but But we're not but we're not i'm sorry we've had some of the best players of all time playing on this team win multiple championships hall of fame legendary status in the game i apologize right we've had the good life but we're not, we, but we're not wrong. No, we're not, not wrong. I mean, sound. I mean, if you're a, if you're a, if you're a Red Sox fan or you're indifferent on baseball, you might think this is kind of weird, but here, let me ask you, and then we'll go on because I know we could sit and to on. me, Red Sox fans have the same thing. Yeah. If you're a grizzled 
hairy, pale white man, Red Sox. You got the luck of the Irish. All right, here, let me let me ask you this, and then we'll move on. And, and it's not because I agree or disagree with you. I'm just curious what you would say on this because I'm kind of grappling with it now that I think about it as you bring this up. Alex Rodriguez, is he a Yankee? Yeah. See, I would say no. Matt, what he did in 2009, he's a Yankee. See, I would say no. Oh, come on, dude. I know. I That's why I'm grappling with it. It's, that one that one yeah. playoff run, he's a Yankee. Yeah, and I, I – after I, Now, if and when he goes to the Hall of Fame, if there are any indications he wants to also be a Mariner or something like that, dead to me. Right. To me. I think that that's, I mean, that's part of what I'm grappling with. The other part is how it was just kind of there for like this fat contract where the majority of it he didn't do crap with, but it was that one year where he woke up and killed it in the playoffs. I'm, well, that was the issue. His first year, he won the MVP. So he came in and delivered right away. Hit over 50 homers. But but when we needed the issue, a post, we, the issue that we have is with who is a Yankee is it matters in October. Right. And when we got to October, he sucked. Flat out sucked. There's no when other word he, to describe it. Sucked. When, when we needed him most, he failed until that one year he finally woke up in the playoffs. I was at an opening day one year where he was going into foul ground and the sun was in his eyes and he dropped the ball. And Yankee Stadium erupted in laughs and cheers because we are on the brink of hating Alex Rodriguez. This was when he – that was the year that he started talking about his demons and he couldn't get things right. Here, let we, me were out on, we were out on A-Rod. I got and then two the more. fall of 09 came. I got two more, and I think I, I, think I know – we might agree on this. We, we may or we may not. I'm going to give you two. We'll move on, and we will, we will parking lot this, as they would say. And we'll we'll put this. That? It, it's like you, you throw it out, but you're not like over with it. It's something I learned at Michigan State. Parking lot, you put it in the parking lot, and then we'll come back to it. But because I like this conversation, we got to bring this up again. We'll bring our friend Ellis on to talk about this. But here, I'll give you two more, really quick. Mark Deshera, is he a Yankee? <sighs> right, it's tough. No. no, he's not. I'd probably agree with you on that. I'll give you one more, and I think I know you'll go with this one. Brett Gardner, the CIA. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, I, I tend yeah. to agree with you on that one. I, I think I agree with you on, on both of those. We'll go it helps for him being basically a lifer. Yeah. And just a gritty, hard-nosed – I mean, hell, we could have, like, signed him, and he might not be a, just, like, randomly when he was, like, a couple years ago, just, like, off free agent, he needs a contract. And him doing the Savages stuff – puts him in the conversation of being a Yankee. He was already a Yankee, but that stuff would have put him in the conversation if, like, he'd been there. That was his first year or something. He'd be like, this dude's a hard-up. This let guy's ask, amazing. Let me ask you a bonus one. I think this one's kind of the bonus. Easy. This is kind of easy and kind of stupid. Uh, Raul Abanez, is he a Yankee? No, he's not a Yankee. All right. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> great great moments from Raul Abanez, but I want to I want to ask you this one because yeah. it could teeter, but I'm interested. Yeah. Hideki Matsui. Yankee, no okay. doubt. All right. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Him, coming ba- him coming back and having the 09 postseason. Hideki Matsui was the only reason we've won a World Series in the last 20 years. <laughs> All right. Not true. Alex Rodriguez. No. Hideki Matsui was the MVP that year. No, I know that, but I'm saying A-Rod was the length. But I, I agree with you, Matsui. But also well, what he did 
he was he was one of if not the only one of those big name Japanese guys coming over that I think absolutely delivered on the hype. Yeah, bashing sixty home runs. No, this is the major leagues. It's not Japan. A-Rod was the MVP of the season, but how many times do we talk about how the Bachelors go dead and Matsui would not let that happen that year? That Oh, man, Matsui. Also just one of the greatest home run swings ever. When he oh, would get a hold of one and into the right field bleachers and flip that bat. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Those Japanese guys, man, Ichiro was like that. They kind of just get down the line quick. Those left-handers that just, like, turn their whole bodies like a beautiful golf swing. Matt, Matsui yeah. Matt, and that series against the Phillies was just – Absolutely, like you can't get more clutch than that in, in the World Series. And is Ichiro a Yankee? <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. All right, yeah. We'll, All right, Matt, move us on. Yeah, we'll table this. Great, great conversation. We're definitely this is not the end of that. We will, we will go back to that. We could talk about that for literally hours on end. Dennis, um, we we talked about college for a little bit. Went into the went into the pros, talked baseball. We're gonna dip back into college, and for our listeners, we'll get to the NFL. Um, so, Dennis, you brought up uh, off the air, we got some uh, college moves to talk about. College basketball, we talked about that's uh, going to Indianapolis. We'll get more into that down the road. Um, but uh, in the conference that is so near and dear to my heart, the American, a lot of big moves. In a conference or in a, a university that had big aspirations to get to a power five, um, that it felt wronged, and we've talked about that conversation uh, in the last few weeks. But UCF's athletic director, uh, Danny White, uh, leaves uh, the University of Central Florida, uh, who, uh, after all their success the past five years, uh, did not have a great season on UCF standards, at least. And their basketball program is not doing well um, this year at all. Danny White goes to uh, Knoxville, goes to Rocky Top, and takes the uh, Tennessee job a day or two later. He takes UCF's football coach along with him and Josh Heupel. Uh, Dennis, as someone that has lived in the Orlando area and uh, knows many uh, UCF grads and talks to them and follows them on social media, uh, if you asked them a year or two ago, they'd be pretty bummed at this. But considering uh, how UCF has gone from top to not bottom, but not so top, um, they're pretty excited to see Josh Heupel go. Uh, so Danny White takes Josh Heupel to Tennessee. UCF goes back on the head coaching search. UCF no longer the creme de la creme of uh, American football and Florida football, which they were for a hot minute. Um, so yeah, your uh, your thoughts on that? And, and in the same token, uh, Jeremy Pruitt uh, leaving Tennessee and Joe Judge recruits him to the Giants. Um, from what I'm understanding, this is an official but he will uh, be helping out the defensive coaching staff uh, in some capacity. We don't know for sure, but Dennis, your thoughts. Yeah. And with Pruitt, uh, it's a professional league, so he doesn't need to be paying any of the players in large sums of cash in McDonald's bags. So, you know, positive, positively for Jeremy Pruitt for Tennessee, Danny white, huge get absolute huge get what he's done with UCF it's frankly great to I mean they crown themselves national champions it's like you said they were probably the best team in Florida for a couple of years but you throw into the fact that FSU's FSU was down been down things got worse maybe they're looking up with Mike Norvell I don't know another American head coach uh 
former American, I guess now. But and then Dan Mullen obviously has Florida on the rise and in you know barring a terrible loss to an LSU football team this past year, they were in the conversation for the college football playoffs. So Florida will be right back in it next year. They are now kings in that state. I don't understand why people would be okay with losing Heupel in that area. I mean, I know they've had some down years the last like two years, but down years as opposed to what going undefeated and beating an SEC team in a bowl game. Yeah. I, I guess eight wins isn't enough for him. Like yeah. the group of five team and in your league has that league has the American has only gotten better year after year. And currently it's Cincinnati's turn. And assuming from what they've done in the transfer portal and guys that are coming back next year, uh, they're not going to be giving up their top position anytime soon. Yeah. But if I could, if I could just, just answer your question. Um, it wasn't a question, uh, more of a statement. But. A lot of it is because, I mean, if you watch, and again, because one, because my school is in the American and two, because I lived in Orlando. So I just kind of keep in tune with that stuff. A and lot of three, it, because you're a big fan of the bounce castle. Don't lie. The bounce, bounce house. house bounce house. house sorry i've been to the bounce house on a number of occasions um yeah no a lot of it is disciplinary issues because if you watch a lot of the games that ucf's been in from from their like incredible successes when josh heupel took over for um uh, uh frost that went over to nebraska from that point on until this past season ucf's offense is through that entire time from mckenzie milton and gabriel and then everything in between their offense has been stellar. The thing that bites them in the ass, especially lately, and why they couldn't beat the teams, the top teams in the American that they would have beaten otherwise, disciplinary issues, stupid penalties. And that's been an ongoing problem with Heupel, and it was never fixed. So I can tell you that's one problem. That's one issue they have with him. And the other is UCF fans have just been flat out spoiled. So the fact that other teams in the SEC – in Florida, whether that be South Florida, whether that be Florida, Florida State, Miami, those teams are starting to get a bit better. The recruits are starting to go their way once again. So I think UCF is starting to see that, whereas when Florida State wasn't that great, when Florida wasn't that great, when Miami wasn't that great, when South Florida wasn't that great. That wasn't because UCF was getting all their recruits. All the recruits were going to UCF because all those programs were in the crapper. So I think that's a, it's a combination of those things, but the Josh Heupel thing is a lot of disciplinary uh, reasons and um, uh, just uh, just stupid stupid fouls that have cost UCF's offense. The the one good thing UCF's defense has not been good in years. UCF just banks on that they can score fifty plus points, and the other team won't score fifty plus points. The other team will hover around thirty or forty points. But sorry, I continue. No, it's fine. No, it's fine. Uh, I love the Danny White hire, like I said. I don't really know if Heupel was the fallback plan. Obviously, White said in his press conference, Heupel was the number one guy. He's the guy we wanted here. Of course, he's going to say that. He was not your number one guy. He was your number one guy. You wouldn't have had a search committee. You wouldn't have spent millions of dollars getting guys to come in and talk to multiple head coaches and recruit guys to come in and have meetings. 
that wouldn't have happened. You would have just walked down the hall and said, Hey, Josh, we're uh, heading up North a little bit. Like it. So they interviewed the reports are that they interviewed Luke fickle from Cincinnati. They interviewed James Franklin. They interviewed Matt Campbell. You interviewed a lot of high profile names currently in the sport. I'm assuming a lot of people said no, because we don't know what, the NCAA punishments will be yet for Tennessee. We don't know how severe they're going to be. Will they lose scholarships? They're obviously going to lose bowl eligibility, but what's the scholarship situation look like? What's the roster going to look like? What do the next two to three years for Tennessee football look like? We don't 100% know that yet. So assuming coaches go in and they can give them non-reported information and maybe it looks just too jarring for him. Why would I leave a place where I'm already successful to come here and completely rebuild? Maybe I don't want to do that. So I like Heupel from an offensive perspective. Like you were saying, what he did at UCF, he can, he's a quarterback friendly coach. He can recruit quarterbacks. That's something you absolutely need now to win in college football. Just look at the college football playoff the last couple of years outside of this year with Devonte Smith winning the Heisman. Name me the last player that wasn't a quarterback to win the Heisman. I think you might have to go as far back as Derrick Henry. So I think they can find a way to get recruits offensively. I don't know what the full team will look like. I think Danny White as a whole, from the athletic perspective, is a major get. The the basketball program with Barnes is already in good shape. White's already been able to hire a lot of big names, a lot of smaller guys and women that have gone on to have success with UCF or then go on to have success success elsewhere. The one thing I am worried about, and this is where we can have a conversation about uh, the old group of five there, but here since 2016, these coaches that have left the American Conference for Power Five teams. 2016, Justin Fuente left Memphis to Virginia Tech. He's 38 and 26. Some are saying he's on the hot seat. Willie Taggart, UCF for Oregon. He would then leave. He was at Oregon for a year, I think. Then went to Florida State, fired. Tom Herman, leaving Houston, Texas. He just got fired. Matt Rule, bit of a success story because he leaves Temple, goes to Baylor. He only had, hold on, I wrote it down here. 19 and 29 total. But one year he only had, I think, one or two losses. I think it was two losses total one of them being the Big 12 championship game, got to a bowl and then was able to get a head coaching job after that leading. Scott Frost, who you mentioned, UCF, Nebraska. Nebraska's won 12 games since Scott Frost has taken over in like three years. That's not good. He's on the hot seat. Chad Morris, left SMU to go to Arkansas, fired. Jeff Collins, Temple. People are saying they're optimistic for Georgia Tech, but six wins in two years or so being there. Manny Diaz, Temple, but Florida or Miami on the up. On the up, Manny, per se. Manny Diaz Temple for like two weeks. <laughs> well, still Temple. Still was hired at a group of five in the American and then left. And then obviously the most recent is Mike Norvell. Memphis to Florida State in his first season, he was three and six. But again, you have to, I, give, you have I, to give them or him the benefit of the doubt. It's only one year. I, my hope is that uh, uh, a, a one Al Golden will come back home. And... Uh, take over the helm again as head coach at Temple. That is, that is my hope. Well, 
combined a 135 and 148 record that is under 500. That is American coaches heading to the power five. Yeah, I know. There is not one, I would say Matt Rule's an outlier, but he literally only did it for like two years. He took over a program in shambles, disarray, built it up, had one great year, and then bolted for the NFL. So we don't really know if he would have found sustained success. Dennis, I also so kind of the one outlier. I also think, just to be fair, I mean, you're right, and there's no doubting those numbers. Like American coaches, for the most part, it's, not, it's fact it's written down. But I would also say, one, I rooted for Manny Diaz's failure, and I hope he fails. And screw that. Oh, guy. That's just me. But also, Never do uh, you. a lot of American coaches just have not been thrown into great situations either. Al Golden left Temple and threw himself right into a giant controversy in Miami. Manny Diaz went to Miami, and every time he loses at Miami, it's it's a great – Matt Rule, like, you're right. Matt Rule went to Baylor in the middle of a, their own controversy and their own situation and made Baylor a crappy to a really good program, went to the NFL. I think he's going to do good things at Carolina, and he has – uh, half the team is from Temple, and I should also say half the Tampa Bay Buccaneers coaching staff is also from Temple. But uh, anywho, that's well, not- also to your point, crappy situation, crappy situation. Tennessee's in a crappy situation, right? And I don't. So, think Josh Heupel is going to make that situation any better. So, Josh Heupel, I think, is the one person that went to one school on the back end of his career at that school didn't do a great job, and now he's got a, a promotion because of it. So I. I mean, who am I? I? I don't care. But Dennis, if you have anything else to add about that, I'm, I'm going to move us on from this topic. No, I'll just say at the end of the day, it's good to have the continuity. These guys obviously know each other. They can obviously work well together. White can trust Heupel to build up a football program. He's already done it before. But at the end of the day, in three to four years time, what will we be saying about Josh Heupel at Tennessee? Is he going to be looking at getting an extension? and SEC is on their way back up, and they're competitive in the SEC East? Or is Josh Heupel on his way out, and Tennessee's trying to find yet another coach, and struggles continue for good old Rockta? For the sake of uh, saying American coaches are having a better time, I hope he does well. I just don't think it'll happen. And I hope so, too, because, I mean, let's be honest, any team can talk about this, especially in the South, but if Tennessee's good, college football is a little bit better. Yeah, no, I, I agree. But Tennessee has been in a hole that I don't think Josh Heupel, not not to say Tennessee will eventually get out of that hole. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think Josh Heupel is the one to. Well, I mean, maybe that that, that train up or whatever. You say that, but there are teams like Nebraska that have been waiting to get out of that hole for twenty five years. So. Yeah, well, that's what happens when you make Scott Frost your quarterback or your your head coach, quarterback. Excuse me. Uh, anywho, Dennis, we'll, we'll, we'll move on, but we'll stick with football. Um, we meant to have an episode last week or earlier in the week and we should you start, start and give your, uh, thoughts. I'm going to go get a beer. Yeah, I, I feel like just like, I got to go. your applause. So I'm just going to get one. Um, uh, Dennis, we, uh, we missed out on talking about the, uh, NFC and AFC championships respectively. They both occurred. You had Kansas city taking on the Buffalo bills and you had the green Bay Packers at home taking on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, my picks personally were I had a uh, Green Bay and Kansas City. Um, and Dennis, you and I have talked about this. Uh, Green Bay, um, 
I didn't say it immediately. I didn't even say it halfway through the season. But I said it uh, the back end of the season, especially going to the playoffs, especially going to this game, like the Green Bay Packers were the best team in the NFC, bar none. Had a solid chance at winning the Super Bowl, but I don't think they're better than the Kansas City Chiefs. And also, I had to stick with my original pick uh, throughout the season and before the season started that the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes were going to win the Super Bowl. And uh, spoiler alert, I'm probably going to stick with that. Um, but we will talk about that on our episode um, next week. I, I think the shocking thing to me was, and we knew, um, Green Bay, North Tampa Bay, um, had gotten to this level, had had the success they had because of their defense. Um, knowing going to this game was, wow, the Green Bay defense is really going to shut down Tampa Bay. Or the Tampa Bay defense is going to shut down Green Bay. Uh, Dennis, I don't think either of us said that. I don't think anyone would have said that the defense was going to be the reason that these two teams made it this far, but they made it this far. And the, the defense was not the reason why the Tampa Bay Bucks won in Green Bay. It was the offense. It was again, and this sounds like a broken record. It's almost annoying to say that Tom Brady is Tom Brady. And Tom Brady is going to go down. He already is. He's not going down because he's still playing. He's going to be the, he's the greatest quarterback of all time. And the reason why I can say that and say it almost with positivity and energy is because my guy and my team beat him twice when it mattered. And as long as Tom Brady plays, whether he retires after the Super Bowl this year, which I don't think he's going to do, but if Tom Brady plays, wins the Super Bowl this year, if Tom Brady wins two more Super Bowls, if Tom Brady plays five more years, Tom Brady could win 100 more Super Bowls. It would not bother me because Tom Brady could not win against my guy, Eli Manning. Twice. Two chances. Couldn't do it. So that's why a lot of people are like, oh, Tom Brady sucks. and eh, He's hugging his kid. That's lame. Blah, blah, blah. Good for Tom Brady. Win Super Bowls. Have family moments. Do what you got to do. You can't beat my guy. That's cool. That's that's a side. Uh, I expected Green Bay to win this game. And the bottom line was Tom Brady dug down in a place where Aaron Rodgers could not. And that was the bottom line. Neither one of them looked great. Um, but when it mattered, Tom Brady did look great in the places that it mattered. They're bo- both their defenses sucked, and we know that. We didn't expect them to have, like I said, when you were coming back, Dennis, into the Matt and Dennis studios here. Uh, neither one of us was like, the defense is going to win this game. I don't think anyone would have said that. But when it mattered the most, Tom well, took the over. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. you, like, you, you take the over. You, they were going to score. Yeah. But, again, I expected Green Bay to win. I did not expect Tom Brady to just be as Tom Brady as he was. And, again, like he's, like he's done. You can hate him all you want, and I, I do hate him. But he, he just shuts up everyone consistently. And again, like I mentioned, Dennis, you walked out for a second there, but I gave a little spoiler alert about what my picks will be, and we'll do a show before the Super Bowl. But that was one performance. Here, well, Dennis, your thoughts on, on... – So the listeners are going to know about your Super Bowl pick, but I won't? I mean, you could uh, – my Super Bowl pick hasn't changed. It's been the same since before the season started. <laughs> I'm sticking with it. I'm picking the Chiefs. But, Dennis, I'm also going to walk out of the Matt and Dennis studios very briefly. But here, we'll, we'll go into the Buffalo-Kansas City game in a second. But first, your thoughts on briefly on uh, Green Bay and Tampa. Well, I have a little disagreement with you because I thought that the Packers defense 
could play well enough to frustrate Tom Brady and the Bucks offense. I knew the Bucks would score points. I knew it was going to be a slugfest. But the way Green Bay looked, especially at times when they looked, the way they looked at the front seven against the Rams the week before, I was sold. I thought they can get in the pressure, cause some turnovers, maybe some bad throws. Uh, watching the game at the end of the first half when Brady threw that absolute dime to Scotty Miller. I think it's Scotty. I know it's Miller. I think it's Scotty Miller. I literally was looking at the TV and I said, shit. Because in that moment, that's a Tom Brady moment. That's something. All they're trying to do is get down the field to attempt a field goal, to get some extra points, to find a little bit more of a cushion. The Packers are finding their rhythm offensively. They're getting back into this football game. And what do great players do? What, as Matt said, the best quarterback of all time, what does he do? Rips your heart out because he throws an absolute dime, busted coverage from the start. Scotty Miller, he literally just runs a streak down the sideline. He puts it where only he's going to be able to catch it. There's still even some time on the clock where they can run a play. And it just, I just assumed Tampa was going to run away with it for that point. Matt, with you coming back into the studios, what I'm saying is when Brady threw that touchdown pass to Miller at the end of the first half, yep. I, I just assumed Tampa Bay was going to run away with it. That, yep. was the, that was the dagger. That was a nail in the coffin for the Packers. They're finding their way back in. And Brady breaks your heart like that. In Got only it. Brady fashion. Can I just interrupt you? And, and I'm curious, like, like you, and you were kind of reading my mind when we were doing the Aggie conversation. I'm curious, at the end of that half, and Tom Brady throws that in Lambeau Field, in the NFC Championship game, he throws it at halftime as the time is expiring. Did that? Are you thinking of the Hakeem Nicks? I was about to say, did that kind of, did that ring any, did that bring back any memories? It didn't because those were happy memories. And what you didn't hear me say is when Brady threw that and Miller caught it, I literally looked at the TV and said, shit. <laughs> because in that moment, I was like, this game's over. This yeah. game's over. The, the Packers can't get enough going offensively. Clearly, their defense is not going to get enough pressure on it. But that play, especially because it was at Lambeau, I, that immediately brought back the Hakeem Nicks uh, touchdown in that game. No, it's a good – I didn't even think about it, but that, that's a good point. Uh, but then Tom Brady just tries to lose the football game. Three interceptions, all of them kind of bad interceptions in the second half. Yeah. But again, Tampa's defense did just enough to force Aaron Rodgers to throw some bad passes themselves. Uh, was it Aaron Jones who fumbled? I think it was Aaron. The Aaron Jones. I think it was Aaron Jones. Yeah, yeah. Who coughed it up? And Devin yeah. White again. Devin White. He's just gonna break my heart because I wanted him on the Giants so badly, and I know the Bucks had the fifth overall pick, so he wasn't gonna get to seven where the Giants were anyway. But coming into that draft, that's the guy I wanted. And like, because we all assumed we were going to go offensive line, but we might go quarterback. And I wanted Devin White. I want the Giants to go linebacker. I want a Lawrence Taylor on this football team. Devin White's that player. He showed it again. And he's been showing it all season long. He was hurt a bunch of times, so he's not going to win no rookie of the year. But I think he's going to be an outstanding player. He's going to be like he's going to be like their Derek Brooks. He's going to be that that linebacker for the Bucks for the next ten years, maybe twelve. I don't know how long linebackers play because they get beat. All right. But, Wait. Yeah, Dennis, we're running out of time. we got a few more topics to cover here, so I want to move along here. Um, going to the other game, the AFC Championship game, was the Buffalo Bills 
the Cinderella run that they've been on, the the turnaround that uh, I shouldn't say it was shocking because it's been 25 years coming. So you had to think it would eventually happen. And with the centerpiece and quarterback Josh Allen, with the, the pieces they've put around him, it's it's finally transpired. Buffalo, spoiler alert, did get eliminated by Kansas City. But if you're a Buffalo fan listening to Matt and Dennis, you have nothing to, to hang your heads about. Buffalo is had an amazing year, and they're not going anywhere uh, as far as I'm concerned, as long as they, they, they stay healthy. Buffalo in this game right in Kansas City, which had fans, obviously not a full stadium, but still sounded at least on national television as if it was a full stadium. Uh, cold weather, Buffalo, nothing new to them. Um, and Buffalo came out the gate, like walking right through the Kansas City Chiefs. Kansas City offense could do nothing. Uh, Buffalo Bills have what was a nine, ten, nothing, ten, nothing. I think it was nine because they missed a yeah, nine. They missed the extra point. Um, and then at that point, Patrick Mahomes, uh, uh, what's his face, drops the the punt return. Buffalo gets prime f- uh, field position. Paul Hardman. And and there's a, a an amazing video. Do you know where he went to school? What? Do you know where he went to school? Not Temple. Georgia. Why would he go to Temple? Yeah, I mean that's the only reason I could think that you would ask me that. But All right, pretty... keep going. Um, but there's a great video on the sidelines of Patrick Mahomes and and like Kelsey, like they're all walking up to him, like kind of slapping him on the head, like, no, you're gonna get another chance, like like get up, like stop. And, and sure enough, he got a uh, touch uh, had a scores their next touchdown, like a 40 yard run or a 40 yard pass uh, return or pass gain at one point, ended up getting a touchdown uh, reception, and uh, had a pretty solid game. And, and there's a really cool video of Patrick Mahomes, and it kind of shows you the leader he is. And Patrick Mahomes, from all accounts, is just a really good dude, and that's that's super cool to see. The Chiefs, Dennis, you know, were my pick before the season even started. Not that it's like going, not that it's a crazy prediction. Uh, not that it's like, wow, Matt really thinks the Chiefs are going to win and he's right. It's not like a long shot by any means. But that's what I've stuck with the whole year. And, and, and it's been ugly at times for the Chiefs, but they've found ways to win. They're running game again, like I've said time and time again. Not that it was ever going to be bad, but it's a lot better than they thought it would be, which is kind of which hurt my fantasy team over the year or over the past year because Mahomes didn't need to throw as much as I thought he would have to. Um, but they've done a good job of battling adversity. Mahomes comes back from his concussion. Um, but when you got the, the team he has around him, you don't need to be a hundred percent and you could still win massive playoff games. Credit to the bills, credit to Josh Allen and, and, and the squad. They've they did an amazing job. They'll be back. Um, this Super Bowl, Dennis, I got to be honest with you, this is one of the Super Bowls that I've been I'm more excited to see than and obviously because of the matchup. Um, I wouldn't say it's David versus Goliath because two stellar quarterbacks just in completely opposite ends of their career, but both extremely talented. Um, but again, we'll talk about that later. Bills, great job, come out of the gate, but Kansas City just flat out in the most simple basic terms was the better team and they showed why yeah and for the next 
seven to eight months, folding tables everywhere can breathe a sigh of relief because Bills won't be playing football. Yeah. But I don't know. I the the Packer game was to me was much more entertaining. We've seen this from the Chiefs before. They got down. They didn't get down that badly. Last year in the playoffs to the Texans, they were down like 24-7 at one point. It might have been 24-0 at one point. Something like that. And then we saw the next week the same thing happened to them. So we've seen this team come back before. I was not worried that the Bills were going to walk in there on the road, a very inexperienced team, playoff-wise, and just shut the door on the defending champs. That wasn't going to happen. And I think in the second half, you could really see – the writing on the wall that this game was over, that at any time Patrick Mahomes was going to do what he does. Look, Kelsey and Tyreek Hill both go for over 100 yards. I guess that's the first time that's happened in a playoff game. It was some stat where they had their receptions and their yardage was like the first time that's ever happened in a postseason game. I, It's weird to me that they can't really run the football. They don't look good really doing it, but they find creative ways of putting Robinson and Hardman coming out of the backfield, uh, running screen passes to the outside like that. It's Andy Reid. It's the play calling. It's, you know, look, we talked about it the week before in the divisional round with their play calling. But, yeah, I, I'm a little worried about their defense. But, yeah, I mean, for Buffalo, great year. You, you're definitely by far the favorites now in that division. Who would have thought? I mean, for more than a decade, we had – one team that was the favorite for the division. Now you could probably make the argument that the Dolphins will be back. They will they lose the division by a game, two games maybe. No, I think. Uh, so, but you know the, the Bills are going to be Super Bowl contenders next year, and that's something that's really exciting for the Buffalo fans. But I just I don't know. I wasn't too impressed with the second half of the game. I la- I chuckled a little bit when Josh Allen threw that uh, football at the Kansas City Chiefs defender when he was laying on the ground. That was funny. Uh, a little bit of a douche move there, Josh. You yeah, yourself, man. Okay. Yeah. And then <laughs> just the Buffalo linemen, obviously probably, you know, they're protecting Allen, but they're going to charge in and we're going to get more flags and a huge delay. And then apparently every penalty is going to offset. So we just sat around for five minutes waiting for them to decide that nothing's going to happen. We're just going to put the ball back where it would have been anyway. And we'll go from there. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I wasn't really excited. I am excited for the Super Bowl. I'm excited for this matchup, uh, even though Brady's in it, maybe because it's not a Patriot uniform. It's not Belichick standing on the sideline. It's a little bit different. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I also, I just want to put to bed, uh, obviously, coming out of that game, all the stupid rumors of Aaron Rodgers possibly leaving Green Bay, people saying that he needs to get out. He'd, he needs a new chain of scenery. Like, shut up. What that to me, we're so starved for content in this sports world that that's what we have to talk about following that football game. He's not leaving Green Bay. We talked about it the week prior with the relationship he's got with Matt LaFleur, what their offense, he's got the best receiver in football. It's, I, I don't think it's a question at this point the way Devontae Adams has played the last like four seasons, especially the last two. He's the best receiver in football. Make the argument for Michael Thomas if healthy, fine. But quarterback and receiver duo. Not too many people have what Aaron Rodgers has as a receiver, and not too many quarterbacks have what Aaron Rodgers has in Devontae Adams. So he has the weapons. I don't know if Aaron Jones will be back, but A.J. Dillon, at least down the stretch in the regular season, looked like he could be a capable number one. And the defense is getting there. I, I, 
commend what the front seven did to get them to this point. So I, it's a stupid thing where it was, it's just Aaron Rodgers being Aaron Rodgers, tongue in cheek, like, oh, well, my future's up in the air, just like a lot of people. It's like, yeah, because this is a business and people want contract extensions. They're going to be free agents. And these hooligans out here saying, oh, Aaron Rodgers needs to go to the Rams. Go to the Rams? Jared Goff was like <laughs> number one, number two overall pick. What are you talking about? Go to the Rams. They're just going to toss right. him aside? Well, all right, Dennis, we got to we gotta move on here because I can look at the clock and we are running out of time. We're not going to make this a two-hour episode. Our mock draft conversation, we're going to table it till next week. Good. Um, I don't want to talk mock drafts. I hate them. And I love them. That's why we're going to talk about it. Uh, so we will talk about that uh, next week along with our Super Bowl uh, preview. Um, but for the time being, uh, we will wrap things up with some more NFL conversation, but a little bit closer to home. Dennis, uh, we had a feeling this was coming out of the city of uh, wonderful city of Houston, Texas. Deshaun Watson did not like how things were being run there. Did not like one, the team he was being surrounded with. Did not like the front office. Did not like uh, what they were doing to help sow the racial divide. And did not like how he was not being essentially uh, in the um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, conversation being included. Conversation when they were looking for future coaches, future general managers, so on and so forth. Um, Houston goes along and makes a head coaching uh, signing. Before that, they made a general manager signing. And uh, Deshaun Watson wants out. Um, it's provided us with some great memes, though. I'll say that. It has. Now, here's the thing. There are plenty of teams that would definitely love to oblige uh, Mr. Watson and uh, enjoy his services. Which team will that be? Uh, what will they give up? And uh, what is Houston asking for? Now, there's a lot of teams. That, I mean, there's a lot of quarterbacks already in the mix of this kind of conversation. The likes of Matthew Stafford, who announced very recently that he, uh, him and Detroit are done. He's leaving Detroit. Detroit. You broken up about that? Yeah, I haven't slept in, in days. Um, Detroit, frankly, wasting a Hall of Fame caliber athlete or what could be a potential Hall of Fame caliber. Wow. Uh, and you know where he went to school? Not Temple. Um, I only said it because Harbin went to Georgia. He went to Georgia. Come on, man. Carson Wentz, uh, more than likely leaving uh, Philadelphia. Although, what's his face? Their new head coach, who had probably the worst uh, press head coach press conference next to Adam Gase that I've ever seen in my life. Uh, so that was shared in another group text of mine, and I responded with, "I really hope." that he lost his place in his note card and was just like trying to think of what we, he was going to say next. And not that he actually wrote down those sentences because he sounded like a buffoon. I'm actually going to text my cousin right now and rub it in his face that uh, they had a terrible press conference. Off to a hot start in the city of brotherly love. Um, anywho, but Carson Wentz. I for one couldn't be more excited for him. I think, I think, one of Matt Stafford or Carson. I think Carson Wentz is going to go to Detroit. I think Matt Stafford is going to go to Indianapolis. I think Deshaun Watson is going to go to the Jets. But, and this is where it comes close to home, being a New York-centric podcast, aside from the Jets, uh, Dennis, our, our good friend of the show, Dan Orlovsky, um, said today one of the most ridiculous things I've, I've ever heard. Uh, he thinks that Dave Gettleman, who is a man, like, let's just say, will go wherever the wind takes him, uh, he thinks that Dave Gettleman should reach out to Houston or let Houston reach out to him, whichever comes first, 
and give away Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, and not one, not two, but three first-round picks. So essentially, uh, two of your first-round picks uh, of the past however many years. and your, two, two of your three last first-round picks. And your of te- your three first-round picks the last three years, two of them gone. And your team's entire future uh, for Deshaun Watson. Don't get me wrong. Deshaun Watson, at least from what we've seen and what's probably projected. Is yeah, he's, a, he's MVP caliber. Is a much better quarterback than Daniel Jones will ever be, more than likely. But to give away Daniel Jones, and see, if you – and you know me, Dennis, and our listeners know, I'm a huge Daniel Jones supporter. It's going to take a lot for me to jump off that bandwagon. But if you, if you, gave, if you said Daniel Jones – and maybe a first rounder, you throw Jabril Peppers, maybe Evan Ingram in there. Maybe I'm like, eh, you know, like catch me at the right the right day of the week. Like, who knows? Maybe I'm maybe I'm about that. But that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. And I've I've said, and it's not smart for us to talk down on other sports analysts, especially if you and I are trying to make it in this industry. But that is one of the most wackadoo ideas. I don't know if he's trying to trend on Twitter, but and the worst part was, and Greeny hosts this show, they just moved on. Yeah. They were like, oh, yeah, Herschel Walker said this thing once. And I was like, what the, what, what, did you guys not just hear Dan Orlovsky say? Hopefully it was just one of the, one of the producers in Greeny's ear, like, all right, just, uh, just on, on to the next segment there. Cut away, cut away. We need Orlovsky on the show. We can't make him sound hey, like. Hey, Dan, Dan, you want to come over here for a second? I, I need to have a word with you. Look, to me, and I wrote this in our group text, the Houston general manager and Gettleman on the phone together. I want to talk trade. You want Watson. We obviously need a quarterback. Give us Danny Dimes. Okay. Now we, we need something big here. We want Barkley. David Johnson, he didn't really do much for us. He's kind of on the back half of his career, you know, after injuries. We, we need a game changer in this offense. All right, I'm listening. And then we want... Your 2021, your 2022, and your 2023 first-round picks. And I replied with, click, dial tone, phone hangs up. No GM in the right mind is doing this. Well, how do you even come up with this thought? Again, my Aaron Rodgers thing. These cockamamie things that the sports industry needs to talk about because there's just clearly not enough things to talk about. Just (laughs) dumbfounded, absolutely dumbfounded. To me, the only thinking that he would have is that the Giants are coming off a 6-10 and 10 season, vastly improved on, under Joe Judge in only a year. Character, culture, things are being built there. And he thinks that the young players already on this squad, the draft picks that they would have deeper into the draft, believes that Gettleman can draft the right guys in those positions. And let's be honest, that's where teams are built. It's not your first overall picks. We've talked about this that the Giants are good enough to then trade all of that, get Deshaun Watson, and Deshaun Watson alone makes the Giants a better football team. You're an yeah. idiot and you're out of your mind. And we do not have a Will Fuller. Darius Slayton is not Will Fuller. He was not Will Fuller when he was at Alabama. Will Fuller at Notre Dame was a much better player than Darius Slayton was at, at Auburn. We, we have Barkley, but I can make the argument that maybe Wayne Gallman just given the reins can do similar to what David Johnson did this year. David Johnson, much, much better talent, but he's on the decline. 
we, we don't have a Brandon Cooks. We don't have a guy that's just going to run streaks down the sideline or run some crossing patterns or some slants over the middle and make the catch. We should in Sterling Shepard, but he's always hurt. We might have comparable tight ends because Evan Ingram's a freakish athlete, but he has stone hands and drops wide open passes. And defensively, I think there are some edges with the Texans. It's, it's, it, it just, I don't understand how he gets to this level of thinking. Maybe again, he just says it so that idiots like us can discuss it and call him an idiot. But is he just sitting there at home like, ah, we need NFL topics to talk about? What are we going to talk about? No, that's absolutely what he's doing. He the Giants did. need a quarterback because Daniel Jones isn't the future. Yeah, no, he's absolutely sitting there. Oh, John Cheney's on TV right now. Um, you know, let me take a picture of this. But no, he's he's absolutely talking about like okay. what? You can take a picture and like just have it for your memory. You just go on Google. Yeah, no, it's a cool thing. It's on ESPN right now. But anywho, uh, yeah, no, Dan Orlovsky, and that's why I'm not a, like a massive fan because he just kind of comes. He, 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 what's, what's the most ridiculous thing? That's three years of the Giants' future. It's like it's like what's the movie that Kevin Costner's in? Draft Day, and it's like yeah. I want three years of this team's future for Bo Cowan. I love that movie, but I love it so much because the ending is so unrealistic. It would never happen. But look, it, to me, I believe the Jets should be doing everything they can to get Deshaun Watson. I don't know if Sam Darnold is the answer. What I do know is that Deshaun Watson is a more talented quarterback. Deshaun Watson was a more talented quarterback in college than what Sam Darnold was. Sam Darnold had offensive weapons when he was at USC. He did not do what Deshaun Watson did. Deshaun Watson's a better NFL quarterback. He's also a better equipped NFL quarterback for the current state of the NFL, being a dual threat. Sam Darnold can move. He can't move like Deshaun Watson. You can, but we're seeing more and more of them come into the league. So I think they should do whatever they have to, as long as the price is right. Obviously, they're going to be losing Sam Darnold. We're talking about a guy who's a top three pick. That's, that's a big investment that you're willing to part ways with. And you have Deshaun Watson coming in who is going to need a contract. Big, uh, probably going to play his way into a big contract. You just have to be ready to give up a couple of first-round picks and hope that you don't buy the farm and just get this guy, ruin his career, never have any weapons around him. Now, I don't know. New coaching staff, front office upstairs, Deshaun Watson comes in, play the free agent market, you find the right pieces around him, maybe it works. But I, th I think that they should be very serious contenders. At the same time, the Texans GM – He's, 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 he's good, Matt. Okay. He's, uh, he knows how to deal with the media. As he was quoted in saying, we have no interest in trading Deshaun Watson. Duh. <laughs> we have no interest in trading our first round pick, a yeah. franchise quarterback who we've already invested time in, who we know can win. Yeah. We're not interested in trading him. Yeah. yeah. I saw that. I, also, to his credit, uh, Ralph Vacchiano, who I follow, who I, I, I love his Giant work. Speak guy. Yeah, great. I, I love following him. He, he, uh, he quoted that, that comment, and he was like, uh, Adam Gase and, and uh, what's his name, Douglas from the Jets, Jamal Adams, we love that guy. We will never get rid of him. <laughs> Dave, Dave Gettleman for the Giants. We did not sign Odell to an extension to trade him. <laughs> 
And yeah, no, I mean, I, I will say this again, like I, like I said, not to beat a dead horse, but I, I, I love Daniel Jones. I think there's potential there if he's surrounded with the right weapons, which I don't think he's had because of one, they just don't exist. And two, they haven't been healthy um, or the ones that are there haven't been healthy. But again, if, if the right off, and it's not what Dan Orlovsky is suggesting, um, Saquon Barkley should not go anywhere. If anything, it's Daniel Jones, a, a first round pick. And again, you throw something like Evan Ingram or a safety in there. Uh, it's not that I needed any more reason to think that Dan Orlovsky is just out of his mind and should not to be. Me, to me, him. you're going to have to give up two first round picks. And then, I, I, th- I think two is a reasonable ask. And, and then, assuming that who you're trading Watson to has a young franchise quarterback that the Texans want. Because the right. Texans are going to need a quarterback in return. And, and here's the thing. I don't think you're wrong. I think that I think that is what the ask will, depending on regardless of who it is, I think that is what it will be. And that's what Houston should at least be asking for. I just don't think, one, the Giants should do that at all. And I don't think they will. I hope they won't. I, I have a feeling. I, I'm sure Gettleman's ear is out there. I, As it I, should be. I would not doubt, right. I would not doubt that he's talking to Houston or at least debating picking up the phone. But I, I, I don't think that Deshaun Watson right now and probably when it's said and done in their two careers, Deshaun Watson is probably a better NFL quarterback than Daniel Jones is or will be. Right now, definitely is much better than he is right now. But when it's said and done, probably will be a better NFL quarterback. But even if you throw Deshaun Watson in there, Saquon can't stay healthy. I have my serious concerns about him. We'll talk more about that as as we get back in the next year. But the pieces are still not there to make the Giants an elite team, much less a playoff team that can win playoff games. It's just not there. So I don't think it would make any sense to trade your team's future away to bring in a better quarterback than Daniel Jones. So one, you bring in a better quarterback without weapons and you trade away any future uh, great opportunities. Don't get me wrong. You could probably get some solid weapons in the back end of the draft as the Giants have always done, have been good at doing in the past. Dave Gettleman's been good at doing that in the past. But I don't, I don't, it just doesn't make sense to me to bring in a quarterback that by all measures is better, but then get rid of the future that would help him win playoff games. It just doesn't make sense to me. Ride it out with Daniel Jones. It just doesn't. And, and I think a lot of this, I don't think this is realistic. I don't think this is going to happen. I think this is a lot of hoopla that online like blogs made up giants blogs nfl blogs orlovsky's trying to get hits like that's what orlovsky does that's what mina kimes does that's what pablo torre does uh what's dan levitard like that's what and and we this conversation for another time but that's what that kind of quote unquote woke espn analyst crowd does kind of new wave crowd is trying to come up with these baloney takes yeah, it's clickbaity. And if and if uh, Dick, takes, everything needs to be hot. And don't get me wrong, if I wake up tomorrow and Dan Orlovsky in the Giants trade, Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, two first round draft picks to Houston tomorrow morning, I will eat my crow and I will kiss the ground Dan Orlovsky walks on. 
But until well, that no, don't say that because he's not reporting that these are talks being had. He's saying this is what the Giants right. should do, no, and then we as Giant fans will blast Gettleman and the Giants because that is far too much. You want to give up Jones and two first round picks, and then talk about some extra players here or some cash? Fine, but we're not giving up three years of first round picks and our number two pick overall, who right now maybe is lesser valued because he's coming off yet another injury. And I got to pull a fast one on you, okay? That's all I got to say about that. But I am serious about the Jets. The Jets should be serious players in this. And just saying, don't count out Pittsburgh. I think Pittsburgh's going to be a very interesting team to watch coming into draft time because they clearly need a quarterback. Big Ben, maybe he's got a year left, maybe two, if that. It'll be interesting to see what they do in the draft or if they go the free agent route. If we get multiple teams in, is that something that happens? And what maybe like Watson ends up to the Jets, Darnold finds his way into Pittsburgh. And if the Jets are going to give up, I mean, what do they have? The second number two overall pick, right? So Houston can find their, uh, their quarterback this year. Or maybe it's Pittsburgh. I don't know. Yeah, no, again, I think, I think this is all a lot of hoopla. It's fun conversation. It's cool to think about. I'd love to have Deshaun Watson in, in, in New York. If, if it was, again, and we'll end it on this. I've, I've been a massive Daniel Jones fan, not because of anything he's shown me, but just because the potential I think he has with the right weapons around him. If Daniel Jones got traded, if it was like a one-on-one Daniel Jones to Houston, of course, but that's not realistic. Uh, but again, if, if the price was right, if, if it was the right, but no, you're not sending the Giants' future to Houston for Deshaun Watson. Like, screw that. That's and, – and Dan Olofsky's dumb for saying that. But also, it was a lot of other people, not that exact scenario that he's suggesting, but there were a lot of other people saying, Giants, grab Watson right now. And I think the Jets or Washington would be smart to grab him. I, I just don't think – and, and Gettleman might – I mean, don't get me wrong. Gettleman knows he's on the hot seat. He's lucky he has a job for the next year. He could see this as a last-ditch effort. Let me do something crazy. If I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out guns a-blazing. Let me do this. I don't know, but we're going to wrap things up. Dennis, I'll let you I, – I will say, I will say though, and the only thing that gives me a little optimism on this and why Orlowski's saying this, and if there are other people saying the Giants should do this or do this or be players, getting involved – is that there are other people that see the potential that the Giants have going forward. This six and 10 football team did not belong in the postseason, but they almost were in the postseason. And they played a much better second half than they did a first half. So given the injuries they've had, new staff turnover, that gives me optimism for the Giants. Not saying that we're going to go out, we should go out and get Watson, but that shows that people believe if Deshaun Watson was a Giants quarterback, Maybe they're eight and eight, not six and ten. So not great, but an eight and eight football team almost gets you, gets you into the playoffs this year. So eight and eight—that's elite in the NFC East. So yeah. All right. Well, uh, Dennis, we will see how that all unfolds. We got a big week coming up. Um, meant to mention at the beginning of the show, but we kind of hinted at it there for for a hot second. We um, as football season comes to a close. We are going to retreat uh, back to our one 
episode a week format. Um, thank you all for listening. We truly appreciate it. It's been an awesome year. And we, uh, again, as the show evolves and develops or doesn't evolve and develop, we will uh, figure out what the best approach is moving forward. But uh, the idea is that we will probably be doing one episode a week for the remainder of the year up until football season arrives uh, once again. So thank you for everyone that's been tuning in um, for the two episode format. We will go back to one a week. Um, and uh, next week we got a good one. We have our Super Bowl preview. We always look forward to that. We'll drink some more beers. We'll eat some chicken wings. We'll have a good time. Mock draft conversation. I love them. Dennis hates them. I have some friends that love them. I was only a bus for a chain. I have some friends that hate them. We will uh, we'll talk about mock drafts. What the mock drafts are saying. Why a lot of people love them. Why a lot of people hate them. And uh, we'll, we'll get into that. And uh, I'm sure which typically happens on Matt and Dennis. I'm sure the minute Dennis posts this episode – There'll be uh, some breaking news in either baseball, hockey, football, who knows what. So, um, Nolan Arenado went to the Cardinals. Didn't mention that. Yeah. Well, now you did. It's a huge so, get. Well, yeah. Yeah. You get. Well, um, Dennis, do you have anything else? No. I will say we might do two here and there. I think we have a lot of, we have a couple ideas for some specials that we want to do. Bring on some guests. Uh, good old buddy Ellis Gill, Italian Stallion Steve Salvo. Uh, the always fun and bombastic Don Costanzo. Yep. Maybe our number one super fan. All your all your favorite characters. Wood chopping Nick Burns. Maybe he'll make an appearance. Maybe yeah, not. Shout out to Nick Burns. Nick, hope you're chopping that wood. Hope you're done. Nick's by the three. only one that is butthurt that we didn't have an episode last week. Nick, this is a long episode, so hopefully you're done chopping that wood and you can crack open a cold beer and pat yourself on the back at this point. If you don't think he's already cracked a beer, you're you're out of your mind. Good point. Nick. Also, stay safe up there in uh, Connecticut. Apparently, it's really cold and windy. It's literally five degrees here in Michigan, so Connecticut can suck it up. They have apparently like a below freezing temp with the winds. Yeah, I don't they, know. They can get over it. For Dennis Vinci, my name is Matt Scrano. Thank you so much for listening. We're on Twitter, Matt Dennis Pod. On Facebook, Matt and Dennis. John Cheney, rest in power, my friend. Go Temple Owls. We will talk to you next week. Super Bowl preview, Dennis. Adios. I'm Ron Burgundy. Yeet.